Some years ago, my wife and I had the privilege of teaching the Bible in the public school system in northern Ontario, actually for nine years. During that nine years, we had 17 classes a week, a half an hour with each class in five different schools. And eternity alone will reveal the impact of the Word of God in the lives of those children. On one occasion in one of the schools, um, probably about two years into that program, the principal saw me in the hall and he said, Joe, can I talk to you in my office? <clears throat> Anytime a principal invites you into his office, it's usually with uh, fear and trembling that you go. I didn't think I'd done anything wrong, but uh, that's just the way it's like crossing the border, you know, you always look guilty for some reason. Um, so I go in and uh, Mr. Wilson was his name, uh, sat down in his office, he said to his secretary, I do not want to be disturbed, and he closed the door. And he said to me, he said, Joe, he said, I am not sure about my salvation. He said, Walter is sure, he knows. Well, who is Walter? <laughs> well, Walter is a custodian. Uh, we happened to know Walter. He was in the little Bible chapel that we attended for some 10 years in that area. Walter was the first one to get there every morning and the last one to leave every night. Walter was the kind of a guy that had just an impeccable testimony at the school. And years had peeled by, and Walter lived out his Christian life before Mr. Wilson to the point that Mr. Wilson couldn't bear it any longer. He had to know for sure if he was going to heaven. This story could go on for the entire period that I have to speak to you this morning, but let me say Mr. Wilson uh, accepted Christ that day as his savior. A week later, his wife accepted Christ as her savior, and we became closer friends than we had ever become before. I pick up on one part of the question that he asked or that he shared with me. Walter knows. Do you know? <laughs> Walter was sure. Probably <clears throat> one of the greatest um, and, and most extreme doctrines in the scripture is the doctrine of eternal security. I'd like to speak on that this morning, if I could. Last night, we talked about a tactical weapon called praise. Let me suggest for you this morning that unless you know that you know that you know, <laughs> that you know, that you're saved. You are living an up and down Christian life. There are places, churches, denominations that do not take the position of eternal security. They take a position that if you have any sin in your life, and you happen to pass from earth with that sin unconfessed in your life, that no sin enters into the presence of God, 
and you never confessed before the Lord that sin before you died, you cannot take that sin into heaven with you, therefore you cannot get into heaven. My dad, who got saved later in life, who was never a real student, he had grade four education, a smart man, but not in books and reading. When he got saved, he had a friend uh, who worked with him who was of the persuasion that you could lose your salvation. <clears throat> he confronted my dad once on a shift and asked him questions about that. Uh, dad didn't have, he was a fairly new Christian at that point. He didn't have a lot of Bible knowledge, but he, he made this statement to the man. If I thought I could lose my salvation, I would be afraid to get off of my knees. I would be afraid to think a thought. I would be afraid to do a deed. For in so doing, I might sin and miss all of heaven. You live in fear if that is your position. It was only about three weeks after I had trusted the Lord as my Savior, and, and I didn't know anything about the Bible. I often say if you would ask me to name three books of the Bible, I might have said Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I mean, I don't know what I would have said. But I came to an old Jewish believer in the Presbyterian church that I first attended in Birmingham, Alabama. And I said to him, how do we know for sure that we're saved? He said, well, son, he said, when Jesus died on the cross, how many sins did he die for? Now, I didn't know much, but I'm pretty good on that one because I had heard that. I said, he died for all sin? That's right, son, he died for all sin. He said, how many of your sins did he die for? Now it's getting a little personal. All my sins? Yes, son, that's right. He died for all your sins. Then he said, how many of your sins were future when Jesus died? I said, thank you very much. <laughs> that settled the issue me. It's not that we get past forgiveness and a sort of a present like this and a future with a big question mark. No, no, no. Eternal security is one of the most, could I put it this way, logical doctrines in the scripture. Many things are theological, some things are logical. There's nothing more logical than the doctrine of eternal security. <clears throat> Think with me for a moment about the difference between relationship and fellowship. I really think this is where part of the problem is. Relationship and fellowship. Relationship on a physical plane is begins at birth. We have three children, we have ten grandchildren and one in the oven. <clears throat> and all of the children and grandchildren that are born into our family in particular, as, as an example, as soon as they're born physically, they enter into a relationship. Uh, in, in other words, uh, they become our children or our grandchildren in the flesh, 
and we become the parents or the grandparents in the flesh. So relationship is established. And, and, and may I say, forever, as far as we can tell, on earth at least. Forever. That child or that grandchild may run away from home. They may change their name. They may have a blood transfusion. They may say, I don't know Joanne Ann Reese. I have nothing to do with them. But on earth, there is a relationship that is established at birth, and they are ours. Nothing can change that relationship. They are ours. Remember the story of the prodigal son? Was there ever a time he wasn't a son <laughs> in the whole story? Oh, he was the son who wanted the inheritance, and he got it. Only God knows why that father gave him that inheritance, but it was part of the story. He was a son when he spent the inheritance. He was a son when he reached the end of his rope. He was a son when he repented and came home. He was a son when the father embraced him and restored to him not sonship, because there never was a time he wasn't a son, but fellowship, the enjoyment of being a son. If you wanted a baby and God blessed you with a child and you really wanted a little boy, but you got a little girl, you can't take that little girl back to the hospital and have her unborn. It's impossible. You got her. She's there. Beautiful. That's yours. Little girl. Okay? Why do you think then a child of God who is born into the family of God could ever be unborn? It's impossible. You're not born again and again and again and again. You're born again once into the family of God, and it's absolutely impossible for you to be unborn. Well, he came to me and he said, you can't believe once saved, always saved. And I said, I wish I could be recorded right now. I said, of course I believe that. I'd like for that to go down as a testimony against me that I believe in eternal security. He said, if you sin and you don't confess that sin and you die, you can't take that sin to heaven. I said, you don't believe that. He said, yes, I do. I said, no, you don't, and I'm going to prove it to you. I said, did you speed on the way to the meeting today? He looked at me like I was a guy with radar, you know. Well, chances are you all broke that law coming to the meeting today. I mean, maybe around here if you walked, maybe you didn't. But, <laughs> but anyhow, chances are most of us, consciously or unconsciously, we do that from time to time. I said, did you speed on the way to the meeting? And he said, well, now I know he's about to lie. <laughs> you know? And he said, well, I don't think I did. And I said, let's suppose you did. He said, I'm not talking about that kind of sin. That's the problem, isn't it? What value do we put on sin? Some little sins, some white lies, some black lies, some terrible sins. Not even the smell of sin is going to get into the presence of God. And so you and I could not ever possibly in the flesh be completely free from sin, but we can be completely forgiven. You say, well, if you, if you believe that, uh, once saved, always saved, you can get saved and live like the devil. I said to him, sir, excuse me, if you get saved, you don't want to live like the devil. Amen. That's the difference. 
It is not a fire insurance policy from hell. It's not licensed to do what I want to do. It's a relationship of love that draws me and constrains me and keeps me eternal security. Don't make it hard. I give unto them eternal life. What don't you understand about that? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have. Is that true or not? I mean, let's don't make it hard. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 7, verse 1. You don't need to turn there. Let me say it for you. That God said to Noah. This is after the building of the ark. After the hundred and whatever it was, 20 years perhaps, that he, uh, that he built that ark. God says to Noah, come thou and all thy house into the ark. He had a wife. He had three sons. They had wives. As far as we know, no children. Eight people. Noah got the invitation. Come thou and all thy house into the ark. If I said to you, go into the kitchen, where am I? Well, I, I'm not in the kitchen, but I want you to go into the kitchen. If I say to you, come into the kitchen, where am I? Well, I'm in the kitchen. I want you to come in with me. Isn't it interesting? God didn't say, Noah, go into the ark. He said, Noah, come. Come in all thy house into the ark. Where's God? God's in the ark. What's the ark? It's the place of safety and the only place of safety on the world of which the dam of God's mercy is about to break and it will be flooded with his wrath. Only one safe place. Same chapter, Genesis chapter 7, a little bit later, I think maybe verse 16, it says that, uh, that Noah had gone into the ark and God closed the door. I like that. You see, God didn't put a handle on the outside of that ark and say, Noah, if you can, you hold on and I'll save you. Noah made a decision to go into the ark. When he went into the ark, the Bible is very clear. God closed the door and the flood waters of God came. The wrath of God ascended on this earth and Noah may have fallen down inside the ark, but he could not fall out. God had sealed him in. Now, there's another aspect of eternal security, and we're going to use our Bibles in a minute, so just relax. This is not one of these I talk the whole time we don't use our Bible message, okay? Matter of fact, I got a whole bunch of references for you right here, but I only have 60 copies. See, the tendency is to give everybody one, so you make either airplanes out of them or start a fire tomorrow night or something. I don't know what you do with them, but most people never go over them again. So you're going to have to come get one if you're interested after. And there's only 60. So probably 60 people out of this group could probably want this. If there's any left over, I'll take them to the next conference. That's all. But uh, let, let, let me say to you that uh, not only is eternally, uh, eternal security uh, important for me to know that I'm going to heaven, it's important for me to serve Jesus Christ. If I don't have this confidence, I'm not sure that I know what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And, and I'm always fearful. I was just looking up this morning on the uh, history of the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. I believe it was started in 1933 and it was ended in 1937. That was a great project and it really went well. And the first part of the building of that great bridge 
23 men fell to their death in the work project. Finally, someone decided we need some safety devices, and so they constructed a net, and that, in that time, at large cost, $130,000, a safety net that was movable. So whatever area of the bridge they were working on, they put the net under that area of the bridge. Nineteen men fell into that net, and their lives were saved. Wonderful, you say. Yeah, but that's great. But let me tell you something that was even more significant. There was a 25% increase in the amount of work that was being done. Why? Well, if I make a mistake, if I fall, there's a net. I can go about my job. I can do what I'm asked to do. I'm not afraid to walk out on this beam. If, if something happens, God forbid, I'm not going to perish like the other 23 men did. Those 19 men formed a club <laughs> that fell into that net. I wish I had written it down. I can't remember exactly what the name of the club was, but it, it was something like the Halfway to Hell Club. Because they would have died. Now, where they went, I don't know. That's their own testimony, Halfway to Hell. Underneath, the scriptures say, are the everlasting arms. So let's think about this subject of eternal security. You say, now, Brother Joe, there's some really iffy passages in the scriptures. Uh, probably not. Probably not that iffy. Probably only iffy if you already have a position in your mind before you read them. There may be, somebody said, there are five problem passages. I said, there are probably six. Okay. Now watch. <clears throat> the principle of interpretation of anything, any, any reference you're looking at, any Bible, any book, anything, principle of interpretation is not I open my chemistry book and I go to page 96 and I read the last part of the last sentence of the last paragraph on that page. And I go, well, I'll never understand chemistry. I'm not any good at that. Well, that'd be stupid. You can't do that. Why do you treat your Bible like that? The principle of interpretation is this. There has to be a foundation for every doctrine. There has to be enough references and enough scripture to give us the principle, the pattern, the doctrine of, of any subject in the Bible. If you take the five or six so-called problem passages and you build a doctrine of eternal insecurity on those five or six passages, you've got approximately 150 problem passages <laughs> in the Bible <laughs> that are just so clear. What do I do with all these, the weight, of all these clear passages against the question mark of the not so clear. Scripture cannot contradict itself. You can't be saved on this page and lost it on this page and saved again on this page. So bear with me this morning. I've not come to preach on the six problem passages because they're not 
problem passages. They have to be interpreted in light of the whole of Scripture. And they must fit the so clear majority of Scripture that tells us once saved, always saved. See, it's not how good I've done. It's how good Jesus has done. <laughs> it's not how well I can hang on. It's that he persevered to the very end. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus doesn't do his part and I do my part. Then I get part of the glory. God shares his glory with nobody. Let's think about this for a minute. Now I want to make one other. I've made a difference between fellowship and relationship. Relationship is established at birth and fellowship is the enjoyment of the relationship. You got to get, if you don't get that, you're done. Like you're mixed up. There's a difference. King David, after all the horrible things that he did, repented in Psalm 51. And he said, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. He didn't say, restore unto me thy salvation. He never lost it. But the joy. He didn't have any joy. Every time he closed his eyes, he saw Bathsheba. Every time he tried to forget it, Uriah in his mind is standing near the wall and the soldiers take him. He knows what he has done, but he confessed that so that he might have fellowship with God again. That's the New Testament principle, isn't it? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins so that we can what? Be born again? No. That as prodigals, we can come home and enjoy the fellowship around the Father's table. Again, fellowship, the enjoyment of the relationship, it can be broken in a moment. It can be broken in your mind. It can be broken any time. And that is sin always separates. If you've got any unconfessed sin in your heart today, to that degree of whatever that sin is affecting your life, to that degree, you are out of fellowship with God. And you need to deal with that. But you don't have to be born again because you can't be born again. And so eternal security. Now let me make another uh, difference. Not only relationship and fellowship. Let me make a difference between security and assurance. I'm sitting at a, at a gate ready to get on an airplane. The announcement comes over the loudspeaker. Flight 123 now boarding. So I walk through the gate, get on the plane, and fly to San Diego. With all of the assurance that I can muster up that I'm going to get there. I'm, listen, if, if, if the lady came over that loudspeaker and she said this, she said, now flight one, two, three is going to be boarding, but just remember that the crew has not had any sleep for three days. <laughs> two of the jet motors... Engines on this plane are malfunctioning, but we have one good one left. Um, we haven't had any chance to fuel the plane up. Good luck. Flight 123 is now boarding. I'm not getting on that plane. <laughs> You're not getting on that plane. And all that could possibly be true, but all they say is flight 123 is now boarding. <laughs> you know? And so as much as we know, as much as, as we understand... We have faith. We are confident that we're going to get on that plane and get to our desired destination. But assurance can never 
guarantee security. There were people that got on American Airlines planes one day, early one morning, in Washington, D.C., and they had no idea where they were going that day. They perished that day. They would have never got on that plane. So you see, assurance cannot guarantee security, but security can guarantee assurance. Now, the issue is, how can I be secure? I can only be secure if I believe what God says. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. If I believe that, what does God say? You'll be saved. Okay. Now, God says, I give unto them eternal life. They'll never perish. If I believe that, now I can have assurance based on what God says. I want to take the next few minutes and I want to give you some verses and some suggestions that my eternal security is based on the work of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This is not some isolated verse tucked away in the Old Testament that uh, people can't find. It is a divine theme that runs all the way through Scripture. If you dare believe what God believes, then you can have a productive, fulfilled, abundant life that Christ died to give you. You say, well, could a person actually be saved and not know it? Yes. Yes. They can be saved and not have the confidence of that salvation. They really can. Because they've they put their faith and their trust in the Lord Jesus. And you're going to say, now, wait a minute now. You're, you're really out on thin ice. No, I'm not. Watch this. How many of you that made professions when you were three, four, five, or six years old have doubted that? It's true, isn't it? Doesn't mean you're not a believer. Doesn't mean you haven't trusted the Lord Jesus. You've come as children. You, you, you've come in the simplicity of faith. Uh, Jesus loves you, son, and he died for you, and he rose again, and he wants to forgive you of your sins and take you home to be with him in heaven one day, and he wants to bless you on earth. Do, do you know that you, you need a Savior? And yes, I know, and in childlike simplicity, I reach out by faith, and I trust the Lord Jesus. And when I'm 10, I'm thinking, did I really mean that? And when I'm 15, I go, I, I, I'm probably not saved. Well, only God knows the reality of that. But listen to me, in childlike faith, listen, childlike faith is better than adult faith. Come on. It's better. Because you don't question. You just believe. <laughs> listen, uh, we've been staying with our daughter, and she's been helping a, another family. Mother's away right now. Little three-year-old girl, Sophia, is running around in the house. You tell that little girl anything, she'd believe it. She had a little crown on, princess crown. I said, Sophia, are you a princess? I said, do you wear that crown when you sleep at night? I said, you know, if you wear that crown when you sleep at night, you wake up, your hair will be curly in the morning. 
My wife said, don't tell the kids that. Don't tell them. <laughs> I said to Sophia, look at Grandma. Look at, look at Grandma Ann here. See, her hair is curly. She wore her crown last night. <laughs> Children believe anything. This is my point, right? Jesus put it so clear. Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not. For such is the kingdom of heaven. Is that the way you believed, adult? Is that the way you did it? Childlike faith, simplicity. God said it. I believe it. And that settles it. Is that the kind? No, adults have struggles with that. Listen, don't let the devil intimidate you. Don't let him accuse you. And, uh, and threaten you and fill you with fears and doubt if you in childlike faith reached out that little hand and grabbed the hand of the Lord Jesus and said, Jesus, I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose again. I want you to be my Savior. Don't let the devil bang you around and sift you like wheat. He's trying. No, he can't destroy your relationship. He's trying to keep you from ever serving Jesus and living all of your life with a doubt, with a doubt. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Let's look at the work of God the Father first. Let's go to John's Gospel, chapter 10. John's Gospel, chapter 10. You know the passage well, but now thinking about the Father, perhaps more than the Son. Look at it in verse 27, John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice, Jesus said, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life. That should do it. Shouldn't have any more doubt after that. And they shall never perish. Wow, just adding on to it. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Listen, how, many, how much proof do you want? He said, I'll, I'll go further. He said, look, verse 29. My father which gave them to me. Here's the, verse, here's the phrase I want to pick out. Is greater than all. You got that? This is what Jesus said. My father which gave them to me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. Oh, now uh, let me illustrate. Uh, we've got the hand of the Lord Jesus, and no man's ever able to pluck us out of his hand. And we've got the hand of his Father, God, who's greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of the Father's hand. And then he says, I and my Father are one. Oh, my. <laughs> Listen, you couldn't get out of there if you wanted out. <laughs> I know you don't want out. But that, that's how secure you are. We don't have to read anything else, do we? Can we just give Joe a longer period and just close in prayer? I mean, why, why do we make this hard? Your salvation is only in jeopardy if there is someone greater than God. If there's someone greater than God, we're all in trouble. There, Jesus said there is none greater than him and none able to pluck us out of my hand and my father's hand because 
we are one. There are other verses we don't have time. Uh, the love of God. We won't turn here, but think about it. The love of God. John 3.16, God shall love the world. Love of God. Romans uh, chapter 8, at the end of all of this, what or who shall separate us from the love of God? And then he makes a list and he says, I can't think of anything else, but if I happen to have left something out and any other thing, he says at the end. Love of God guarantees it. Greatness of God guarantees it. Purpose of God guarantees it. We've got to turn to Romans 8 on this one. Romans 8. Purpose of God guarantees my eternal security. We like verse 28, and it's a great verse. All things are not good, but God can work them for good. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Verse 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now watch the chain of events. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called and whom he called them he also justified and whom he justified them he also glorified what should we say then to these things if God be for us who could be against us now watch the chain the chain is here we are down here lost in sin and by the grace of God salvation is brought and God works with us, and God's Spirit convicts us, and we respond by grace and through faith to that Spirit. And as we go along in the process of salvation, He brings us from one point to the other point to the other point, and the final destination, we read it, was glory. So now watch. If you don't believe in eternal security, this is what can happen. God works with me. I trust the Lord. He justifies me. He's conforming me to the image of his son. He's called me. All these wonderful things. And now I'm about ready to get to heaven. And God's going to bring me all the way. And all of a sudden, the devil got that one. The devil got him. Oh, I almost got him into heaven. How stupid is that? The very eternal purposes of God guarantee your eternal Security, the greatness of God, the love of God. <laughs> Two little girls were talking, one said to the other one, what makes you think you're saved forever? She said, because I'm holding on to Jesus' hand, and he's going to take me to heaven one day. Her little friend says, huh, the devil will come along and cut your hand off. Then what are you going to do? Mm, she said, you know what? I didn't have that right. <laughs> she said, uh, Jesus is holding on to me and the devil can't cut his hand off. <laughs> but see, that's how secure we are. The greatness of God, the love of God, and the purpose of God. Can a person know that they're saved? Let me say yes. Work of the Son. Work of the Son. I'm just giving you one verse out of many, folks, but just time wouldn't allow. But think about, here's a few points under the work of the Son. First of all, Christ died for our sins. I think my little story and illustration at the beginning, if he died for all my sins and all my sins were future, what am I worried about? I've already been forgiven. Listen, I don't use that as license or liberty. 
I use that as a cloak of love and I embrace him and I serve him and I'm grieved when I cannot serve him the way I want to. I find myself in Romans chapter 7 all of the time not doing what I should do and doing what I shouldn't do. What keeps us? Grace. Listen to me. Most of us don't really believe in grace. No, we say we do. We say we do. But we think if I do this real good, God will bless me. That's obedience, and that's blessing, but that's not grace. You get grace when you don't deserve it, right? You get grace when you fail, right? You get grace when you turn your back on God, right? You get grace when you don't do it right. Grace is the unmerited. You see, we think that we can do a little bit and we can earn grace. You cannot earn grace. If you could earn grace, it wouldn't be grace. Christ died for our sins. You see, the, the, the philosophy of the whole thing doesn't make sense. You mean, I just have to believe that. No, you have to trust that. Be careful with the word believe. Trust is a better word. Trust. You can believe something and not trust something. You can believe something and not live something. You can believe something with your head. You can believe it in your mind, and yet in your, in your hands, in your feet, in your mouth, you never live it out. That is not Bible belief. Bible belief is I live it out. Bible belief, not that I'm doing anything, but because I believe, it work, I work it out in my life. Christ died for our sins. Listen, point one here is his substitutionary death. He's your representative. When Christ died on the cross, watch me, it's like you were there. Okay? He died, I died. He was buried, I was buried. He rose again the third day, I rise again. I am so identified with him that when God sees his son, he sees me. And the complete work at Calvary, that's the reason baptism is so significant and so important. It is a symbol of what's already happened in your heart. I died with Christ. I'm buried with Christ. The water's the grave. I rise with Christ. It's a new life. It's all about Christ. His glorious resurrection. There are two doctrines in Scripture that we treat as common everyday affairs, and they are so miraculous we miss them. First one is virgin birth. <laughs> oh, let me tell you. We go... Uh, a, a, a virgin's going to have a baby. We go, yeah, a virgin's going to have a baby. Like virgins have ba Virgins don't have babies. Come on. Put your thinking caps on. That's impossible. So is resurrection. If you read in the Claremont, whatever it is, today that so-and-so was buried three days ago, but this morning he got out of the grave, dug his way out, went home, had breakfast with his family, uh, and, and, and he rose from the dead. You go, ha, where'd you read that? Esquire, Inquire, uh, some kind of crazy magazine at the checkout at Walmart. I mean, <laughs> where, where are you getting this stuff? Dead people don't get up. So we say, you know, Christ was virgin born. Uh, okay, right. He lived a perfect life. Yeah, okay, uh, that's right. He died. Well, I, I know about that. I went to a funeral. He was buried. I, I, I went once and I saw that happen. He rose again from the dead. Yeah, he rose. Listen, folks, it's unbelievable. 
but it guarantees my eternal security. For Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Resurrection. Intercession. Oh, my. How far do we have to go? Return. You know, as a gospel preacher, you know what I tell people all the time? I say to them, you must receive Christ. Receive, believe, trust the Lord Jesus as your Savior. You must receive him into your life, into your heart. The Bible talks about it. As many as receive him, to them give he the power to become the sons of God. But you know, at the end, it's amazing. He receives us. <laughs> if you don't receive him now, he doesn't receive you at the end. If you receive him now, then he receives you when he comes back. For He said, I go away to prepare a place. And I come back to receive you, listen to me, unto myself. I love that. Heaven is not heaven unless Jesus is there, you know. Heaven is heaven because Jesus is there. Uh, heaven could be on earth if Jesus is on earth. It's to be with Christ. That's the point. And when he returns, he will come and receive us to himself. All this does what? Guarantee my eternal security. Quickly, the Holy Spirit. And I have notes and other verses here for those of you who want an outline. Let me start with the seal. Remember the story of Noah? God sealed him in. Verse 16, Genesis 7. God sealed him in. Well, let, listen, when we trust Christ as our Savior, a lot of these things you have to learn. We don't know much about them, but you have to learn these things. And you, and, and you learn that you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That, that God actually puts his stamp of authority and seal on you. Uh, matter of fact, Romans 8 and 9 says, If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. It's not like, oh, we got saved, we got a little bit of the Holy Spirit, and then we get a little more. And if I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit, I'll explain that in a second. We get, no, 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 no. Holy Spirit's a person like Jesus, like God. You can't divide him up. You don't get a little of Jesus, a little of God, a little of the Spirit. The Spirit of God takes up residence. And, and listen to this. Not only does he seal me, he is my guarantee to the day of redemption. I, therefore, I don't grieve him. Ephesians 4.30. I don't grieve him. I, I do never intentionally grieve him. But listen to this. He lives in me. And in John 14, we don't have time to look it up, but in John 14, Jesus said, that same spirit who is with you is going to be in you forever. Wow, I don't need to know anymore. <laughs> He's going to be with me forever. Now listen, if the very Holy Spirit of God lives in me forever by grace, through faith and trusting Christ, I don't have to worry about hell because God is not sending the Holy Spirit to hell and he lives in me forever. I mean, it's just over and over and over. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, and then I'll draw this thing to a conclusion. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not some experiential uh, 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 power of God coming on me where I can speak in tongues or do signs and wonders. I don't know where they get this stuff. It does, it's not in the Bible. Okay, They make it up. Okay, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is this, that I was once under my federal head, which was Adam, sinful and separated from God. 
but by grace and through faith, I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And at that very moment, God takes me out of my old position, which was in Adam and separated from God, and places me into my new position, into the body of Christ, with Christ as the head. I don't know that. I don't feel that. That is positional truth. But interesting, in uh, 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13, it says this, that this word baptized, you were all baptized into one body. Uh, if I could put it this way, some of you guys will know what I'm talking about. A one-way valve, a check valve. Uh, it, it happens all, all the time in industry. You want things to go this way, but you don't want things to ever back up and go back this way. So you put a valve in here. And so the water runs this way. If it happens to try to back up, the valve closes and the water can't back up. It's that simple. The baptism of the Holy Spirit has a check valve on it. It's in the aorist tense. The word baptized means there's an act that happens and the result continues indefinitely into the future. It never backs up. You can't be unbaptized out of the body of Christ. Can I know I'm saved? Well, of course. The seal, the indwelling, the baptism, on it goes. And then we get down to the final part, and that is this. I can say I'm saved today because God says it. He that believes on the Son has everlasting life, John 3, 36. He that believes on the Son has everlasting life. Who says that, God? You say, Joe, are you saved? Yeah. How do you know? God told me. God told me. If you have the Son, you have life. If you don't have the Son, you don't have life. I write these things to you that have the Son so that you may know that you have life. But what's wrong? What's, what's hard about that? 1 John 5, 11 to 13. What's, what's hard about that? I'm taking God's word. Not mine. Not what I feel. I get up sometime, I don't want to read my Bible, I don't want to go to a meeting. I say, oh, Joe, you must not be saved. Listen, that's got nothing to do with it. That's the traumas and trials and fears and failures of everyday life. God is not that fickle, folks. He says it. God says it. And then I get to say it. If I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in my heart that God's raised him from the dead, I'll be saved. Then I say it. Oh, but listen... With the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, read your Bible carefully, confession is made unto, not for. Unto salvation. Uh, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Wow, great. And then it goes on to explain it. Uh, it says, how shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? You'll read it in the, in, in the notes later. Listen, if I'm out somewhere hunting and I have an accident, I'm all by myself, and I know there's nobody within 10 miles, I'm not going to bother wasting my ammunition. I'm not going to bother wasting my breath. I am not going to call for help. But if I knew there was a camp down the river about a mile, I'm making all the noise I could ever make and let them know I'm hurt up here and I need help. How shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? You see, once you have trusted Christ, then confession is made unto. Then you call. You don't call on somebody you don't think is out there. So can I be saved? Yeah, why? Because God says so. Can I be saved? Yeah, why? Because I say so. I confess with my mouth. Can I be saved? Yes, why? Because I feel 
saved. Now that's last, not first, but it's valid. An old fellow's walking down the road with a sack of potatoes on his back, 100-pound sack. You think, that's a lot of weight, that's a lot of potatoes. His critic comes up along the side of him and says to him, uh, you Christians think you're saved. How do you know you're saved? He said, walk along here with me and I'll show you. As they were walking along the trail, the old Christian let the sack of potatoes fall. Never missed a step, just kept walking. The bag hit the ground, potatoes rolled all over the place. The critic stopped and looked and finally caught up with the old guy. And the old guy says, you wanted to know how I know I'm saved, right? He said, yeah. He said, you know I dropped that bag of potatoes? He said, yeah, they're all over the ground back there. I saw that. He said, you want to know how I know I dropped that bag of potatoes? The burden is gone. Is your burden gone today? Is it gone? We can't carry it, you know. Used to tell our kids when those things too deep, this is too, too heavy for you. It's a heavy suitcase, son. You can't carry it right now. God doesn't want you to carry that suitcase. God does not want you to carry that burden of sin. I know I'm saved because God says if I trust Jesus, I'm saved. That settles it. I know I'm saved because I confess with my mouth and I called on him that I believe. And I know I'm saved because the burden is gone. I trust the day you know that. And after the last session this morning, if you want one of these outlines, you can come up and have one. I'm not even going to close in prayer because I'm robbing Joe already <laughs> of his time. So let's uh, have that. We couldn't possibly sing. Uh, I was thinking of 394, but yeah, 401 would be okay. <laughs>